If you're committed to transitioning to a new role outside of the classroom, let me give you some advice. Don't try to navigate this journey all on your own. The Teacher Career Coach course will walk you step-by-step through the entire process. When you sign up, you'll get help picking your career path, have access to a library of transition resumes for teachers written by a professional, and even gain access to a list of hundreds of companies that hire teachers. Most importantly, you'll join our exclusive private community to collaborate with others and network. I've dedicated my time putting together templates and resources to create the most thorough program to help save you time. Learn more about the Teacher Career Coach course at teachercareercoach.com forward slash course. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. After leaving teaching because of some serious burnout, she vowed to build the community she wished existed when she needed it most. She went from classroom teacher to an educational consultant, instructional designer, and six-figure business owner. Now, she's here to help you achieve happiness and work-life balance, whether inside or outside the classroom. Come join our discussion as we talk about managing teacher burnout, career transitions outside the classroom, starting a side hustle, and everything in between. Here's your host of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast and your new personal cheerleader, Daphne Gomez. Welcome to the Teacher Career Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Daphne Williams. There are so many different freelancing positions that teachers can do. There's copywriters, editors, instructional designers, virtual assistants, project managers, social media managers, and educational consultants that are all teachers. Freelancing is a great fit for a teacher's schedule because you can only work with clients that you want. You have control and flexibility of your own schedule. But one of the biggest challenges in becoming successful is just figuring out how to even get started. Jay Klaus has over 10 years in the entrepreneur space, and he actually created an entire school to help freelancers succeed and scale their businesses. I was lucky enough to connect with him in a business mastermind that I'm in, and he reached out and was excited to join us on the podcast to share his knowledge in how teachers can get started freelancing. Hey, Jay, thank you so much for joining us here today. Daphne, super, super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I wanted to start off with just a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. So my name is Jay, as you've probably heard already, dear listener. I am an online creator, so I spend a lot of time writing. I spend a lot of time podcasting. But up to this point, I've also spent the last four years freelancing and uh, sustaining myself through freelance work. So, uh, you know, since doing that for four years, I found that there's a lot of opportunity for other people to make a living freelancing. And I built freelancing school as an educational platform to help people get to the point where they can make a living freelancing themselves. So with my audience, I know a lot of people have asked me questions about freelancing because I actually freelance as an educational consultant on the side. Uh, What is a freelancer? What's the textbook definition of a freelancer? Freelancing 
basically just means that you don't have a full-time employer. You're not working a W-9 position, or sorry, a W-2 position where you're getting a paycheck or consistent benefits. You are working as a 1099 independent contractor. And outside of that definition, freelancing can apply to a ton of different disciplines. It basically just means though that people are paying you for your skills and the outcomes that you are uh, promising to them for the scope of a project. And that scope may be consistent hourly work every week. It may be a a very specific project that has a very uh, well-defined beginning and end date and set of deliverables. You can really structure your freelance work in a lot of ways, depending on the discipline that you are using to freelance. But it basically just means that you are your own uh, employer, you're your own boss, you are not getting a W-2 income. So it sounds like there's a couple of risks associated with it where you would have to figure out your own benefits if freelancing was the only thing that you were doing full time. What benefits do you see with the life of a freelancer that outweigh the cons of having to pay your own benefits? Well, most people are drawn to freelancing because you have so much agency over your time. You choose the work that you do. You choose when you work. You choose who you work with. You choose where you work from. Your whole life is really in your control. And your constraint is you need to earn enough to reach your own earning goals and uh, savings goals. You know, that's really your constraint. And that's the main trade off. But there is just so much opportunity because you also don't have a cap on how much you can earn. You know, any W 2 position, there is naturally going to be a ceiling on how much you can earn in that position because. The nature of W-2 work, the nature of full-time work is the organization or business owner is paying you less than they are receiving for the value of your work, but they can't pay you more than the value of the work that they are receiving. So there's always going to be a ceiling on how much someone is willing to pay you as an employee. And when you work for yourself, yes, there are some risks involved, but you also remove that ceiling. You can earn as much as you want and can and can... Uh, build as as far as a pipeline of clients and business goes. So there's huge, huge, huge potential if you choose to go down that path. So if a teacher was wanting to start freelancing, they would have the ability to actually freelance just part-time on the side because they're creating their own hours and they're taking the jobs that they're able to take during that time, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really great place to start. In fact, a lot of people get started, quote unquote, freelancing that way. Like think about any gig economy, to use a buzzword, type employee, anyone who's driving Uber or driving Lyft or doing Postmates on the side, anything where you're just kind of going through this uh, application and being paid on a per gig basis, that is technically uh, the same nature of work as freelancing. And a lot of people do that on the side because it's a way to earn extra income. And I think if you're just getting started, it actually makes a lot of sense to start freelancing on the side because one, you're going to get a really great sense of whether or not you enjoy it, which is important if you're thinking about doing it full time. And two, it takes a little bit to build up, build up the skills and competencies and confidence to freelance full time. takes you a little bit to build up enough conversations and potential clients in your pipeline who may want to hire you for some sort of work. There's, there's a lot that goes into it upfront. And so if you can start freelancing before you need to depend on it for your sole income, 
you're going to be much better off long term. Yeah, that's a really great point that you just put right there. I, I've talked to people before about starting their own business, even just something as small as selling digital curriculum online. And the reason why is, you know, you don't know what you like until you actually try it. And for me, you know, I looked at all these skills that I would need to sell digital curriculum online. And when it came to, you know, blogging and search engine optimization and social media management, I thought, oh, I'm really going to enjoy blogging. And I found out really quickly, I don't really like blogging as much as I like search engine optimization, which is just such a random. It's like a puzzle. Yeah. But it until you start implementing and until you start playing around with these skills, you're not going to know what you actually enjoy. And for people who are thinking of using freelancing as resume writing um, experience, you're going to want to know what you actually enjoy doing before you put all your eggs in that basket. So this is the perfect opportunity to build those skill sets while you're actually getting um, financially compensated for it. Can I talk about that a little bit more? Because I think this is a really, really important point. If you're listening to this and you're considering freelancing or you're considering a transition of any kind, you're in the perfect position to be very thoughtful about designing your life to be more of what you want. And the constraint for people leaving a full-time job is how am I going to replace this full-time income. And if you jump without a parachute or you jump without a plan, or you haven't tried these things out, you are not going to be able to avoid making decisions based on money, which are not going to necessarily be the same decisions you would make if you were trying to optimize for lifestyle, fulfillment, happiness, things like that. So if you're in this point where you're thinking about a transition, but you are still full-time employed, this is the perfect time to be trying things so you can get a sense of, do I enjoy that? And usually it's, an answer like, well, I enjoyed two thirds of this, but I hate this other third. Great. Amazing insight. What can we do to maximize the time spent on these two th- things and erase the other thing? It might be a slightly different freelance path. It might be hiring somebody to do the third part and that's okay. But you want to have these insights before you are so dependent on the income coming from this thing that you may not love that you don't have a way out. When you're in this position of potential transition, but still earning a paycheck, that's the perfect time to be discovering these things. Yeah, absolutely. I, that's a lot of people feel like I'm this high on the salary schedule. I've been teaching for 15 years and there's no way that an entry level position is going to hire me even near to what my salary is. And my advice for those teachers is to first show you have the years of experience, show how your experience, you know, translates into the experience that they need so that it's not entry level experience, but also start diversifying your income. If you feel like your income is holding you back from achieving or reaching for a different path, then start diversifying and figuring out what you can put in place to start supplementing your income so that later on, one year down the line or two years down the line, you have the ability to, with confidence, make that decision. Yeah, 100% agree. So one of the things that many of the teachers that I've talked to about freelancing, their very first questions are, well, do I need to go back to school to learn some of these skill sets? Nope. You don't need any, you don't need anything other than the ability to convince somebody that you can do the job. You don't even need a portfolio. Technically, you need to be able to convince the other person who's hiring for a position for an outcome that you can get the job done. That's all you need. Now, most freelancers will find that they are more confident and more able 
to convince people that they can do the job if they have things like a portfolio of past work, if they have past clients they can show, if they have a website that shows that they do this kind of work. And there's a lot of validity to that because if I'm thinking about hiring somebody, I want to know that this person can deliver on what they're saying. And the best way to know that is to look at past experience or past client testimonials and things like that. Do you technically need anything? No. Do some of these things help? Yes. But you don't need any type of degree for freelancing. People care much more that you can exhibit the skills and the outcomes that they're hiring for. And they don't necessarily need any type of certification or degree to believe that. When is When you're talking about the different skills, do you have specific skills that you recommend people look into first if they have no idea what they even want to do as a freelancer? Well, there, there are a couple ways you can approach this, right? There's skill development, and then there's just packaging and showcasing of your existing skills and leaning into those. And I 100% recommend starting with what you know you can do. And people often radically underestimate their own skills and the value they bring to the table. Think about any job that you've worked. That is something that someone might want to hire you for on an independent basis. Even teaching, like tutoring has been around for a long time, right? That is essentially freelancing as a teacher in a way. Think about the other skills that are inherent in that job. You as a teacher are probably public speaking every day. Those communication skills, those soft skills, those skills of persuasion and teaching are actually very, very rare in today's like gig economy marketplace. There are a lot of people who can help you create a banner for Facebook using Canva or something. There are a lot of graphic designers who can do that. There are much fewer people who can do some of these nuances that come with communication, writing, um, proofreading, these things that used to be much more common are actually becoming more and more scarce. I think teachers are in a fantastic place to lean into their existing skills of writing, communication, teaching, persuasion, proofreading. Um, that That is all in demand right now for a variety of different businesses, industries, things like that. Yeah, I, I wanted to add to that a little bit with um, when I've talked to different teachers who have been freelancing, there's, you know, career writers, there's copywriters, there's people who are virtual assistants online, um, project managers. One of the most common things that teachers can actually start to look into or explore if you love pedagogy, if you are still really passionate about education is something called educational consulting. And consulting is just a very vague term. Educational consulting can mean you're freelancing and working with educational companies to answer their questions like what gripes do teachers have or how can they better their curriculum to help teachers succeed or be more interested in that specific product or there's educational consulting where you create your own professional development and you actually go and sell that to districts and you go and you present professional developments for teachers in districts. Love that. Um, curriculum development generally can be really, really powerful if you can go into a business or an organization that has a really good way of doing something. You know, they've been operating for years and they have a really great process for X. It's getting more and more common that organizations want to productize their information and their skills and turn them into online curriculum, whether it's an online course that they're putting on a platform like Udemy or whether they're trying to do some live type cohort training. Somebody who's developed curriculum can come in, ask questions, start to pull out and codify the way that these organizations work 
and help create curriculum for them. Uh, and innate in that activity is facilitation. You've probably, as a teacher, facilitated a ton of group discussions that can be really, really valuable for other organizations who need to bring in an outside facilitator to help them have productive meetings or productive uh, planning sessions, things like that. Have you seen a lot of freelancers actually use their experience that they've taken as freelancing to leverage themselves into full-time positions? When people get into freelancing, they usually have one of three directions that they're working towards. The first being that they eventually want to build a larger business than themselves. It's kind of the agency model. It's hiring people. It's working with bigger clients. It's doing bigger projects, building a business out of your freelance business of one. The other path is that freelancing becomes the economic engine to let them explore some other interest. And that might be building a new economic engine, like building online courses or a podcast that generates income. A lot of people get into freelancing to preserve the time and space to build some other thing that is more passive as far as income goes. Other people on that same path are using freelancing to build an economic engine so they can just spend more time with their family, you know, and they can say, I charge this hourly. I have a consistent amount of inbound leads that are helping uh, to meet my earning goals with that hourly rate. And the rest of my time is just gravy. Like I can travel, I can learn how to cook. I can, you know, use my hobbies. And the third path is kind of a exploratory phase. And that means that I want to make a transition. I'm sick of this thing. I think I can earn money on my own using these skills and I'll figure out what comes next when I figure it out. Most people who enter into freelancing recognize that they're going one of those three paths because it's kind of a transient thing. Nobody freelances forever. Um, and to your question, Daphne, people in that third path of I'll figure it out later often do leverage that into a new full-time role because most employers want to hire somebody who exhibits experience more than somebody who just has a degree. And freelancing yeah. is like the ultimate way to get experience and not only experience with a certain skill set, but you learn all these other incredibly valuable skill sets, freelancing, like managing a ton of different projects, uh, communication again, um, Financial literacy comes with learning how to freelance. Um, sales is the biggest thing. When you freelance, you kind of have to learn how to sell yourself. And that is such a valuable skill set to any organization. And so people will look at your freelancing resume and your freelancing experience and see all the ways that your capabilities plug into their organization. It can often be in kind of like a generalized role where they know, well, we have these three needs. We have budget for one person. We need kind of a superhero. And Honestly, I think teachers are well-equipped to do that anyway, but especially freelancers who have worn all those hats for their own business. Yeah, absolutely. I know that you have mentioned to me that you have a couple of educators in your family as well, right? So many. I had both of my parents in high school as my teachers. Um, my oldest sister is a teacher. Her husband is a teacher. Uh, she and him and my parents all taught at the same high school. <laughs> so it's it's definitely in the, the Klaus blood. having a really good conversation with your family who are teachers and about how teachers can actually transition into roles without having specific experience. Can you go into that a little bit more? Yeah. Um, given that I've, I've seen my my parents, my, my sister, her husband, even my cousins and aunts go through this where it feels like a lot of teachers hit this point of burnout because as the years have passed, there are more and more expectations on what teachers need to do with their very finite amount of time. And it's rarely expectations in the classroom, in instruction. It all seems to be outside of it. And I can see how it could really, really burn you out. And the, the story that I've heard from 
uh, people around me who hit that point, they have this limiting belief that their certification, their degree is in teaching. What am I supposed to do with that? I can't get another job with that. And that's, that's so not true. And that's so limiting because so many companies, like, like I said a minute ago, outside of entry level positions where they're literally setting up these positions to be intake from college graduates, they would rather hire somebody with working experience than somebody who has a degree. Like the real world is just so much different than school and businesses understand that they have to move quickly. They have to move at the pace of business and they want to hire people who are skilled, who have experience in the real world and have these skills of communication. They can problem solve. They are just smart and they can, they can figure things out. You know, these sound like such basic things. And I hope you're listening to this and saying, that sounds so basic. I can do that. I can problem solve. I can communicate. I can write. I can lead teams. I can public speak. I can do all these things. Yes. And that's why you're in such a good position to actually get some of these roles that are out there. If you're looking at, um, especially younger companies who don't have such a fleshed out organizational structure where they have these really, really rigid expectations of what person fits into a role, startup companies or younger companies, small businesses, they just want to hire exceptional people. And if you look at their job descriptions and it seems interesting to you, but you feel like you don't match the requirements, please apply anyway, apply anyway, and then take the next step of figuring out a way to stand out in the application. Because most of the time when you're applying through the front door of a website, it's, it's just not your best chance. Like people on the back end of that, they want to have the right hire. They want to know they're making the right choice as soon as possible, but it's so hard to parse through all these applications, all these resumes. And so if you can make an impression, if you can find the person who's actually hiring and have a face-to-face conversation, voice-to-voice conversation with them, they're going to be so much more confident that you are the right choice for this job than any piece of paper out there. And it may be hard to get that first conversation. So with your application, Maybe add a line where it's like, hey, I also recorded a three minute video talking about this position and why even though my experience may not map directly to this, I think I'm a really, really great fit. That is going to create such an impression. It's going to stand out. They're going to watch it. They're going to have such a better understanding of who you are, how you communicate, how they might interact with you if they hired you. Like people want to know that the people they're hiring are people they want to work with. You can't get that from a piece of paper. You need to have an interaction. That's why interviews exist. But if you can create that impression before you even get to the interview stage, you have such an opportunity to branch out into a new industry, a new organization, a new company, because you have these skills that are innate from being a teacher. Yeah. And not just with applying for full-time positions, but that's a really great strategy for marketing yourself as you're reaching out to potential clients as a freelancer. For me, If I'm trying to hire someone, let's say, to create my Pinterest pens for me, someone they can send me, oh, I've been making Pinterest pens for a year, or another person might go out of their way and make a couple of teacher career coach Pinterest pens, and automatically I'm able to see they took the extra step, and I can already see them in this role because they took the extra 15 minutes to go above and beyond for that application. Totally. I I was listening to a comedy podcast. I think it was um, You Made It Weird with Pete Holmes. And he was talking to an actress and his role had reversed in that he was producing a show. I know this seems like a weird setup, but follow me. He was producing (laughs) a show and he had to do the casting for it. And previous to that, he had always been the person auditioning for roles. 
And he said what he realized as the casting director for this show was that everyone who walks in the door, you want them to be the answer. You want them to be the person that you hire, but they need to make it abundantly clear that they are. So if you go into job interviews, whether it's full-time, part-time, anything that you're doing, anything that someone's considering hiring you or asking you to do a thing, they want you to be the answer. They are rooting for you. All you need to do is confirm for them that they're making a good choice. So somebody who's going in and applying even for like a freelancing position or they know someone needs a copywriter, it would be really impactful if they took that extra step to actually write copy that looked like what their potential client would be looking for. Would that be advice that you would give? 100% because we have infinite amounts of choice for anything in our lives. And with that has come this underlying fear of making the wrong choice and failure. And so we don't make choices until we have to, right? Most of the time we need a deadline. We need a hard reason to make a choice. All this to say though, the more that you can do in the process to ensure this person that you are not going to be a regret, that you are somebody who will get the job done, that they're making the right choice in hiring you, the better off you're going to be. And if that is showcasing the work that they're looking for before they even hire you, that's a pretty great sign. Uh, it's also in the process of communicating with this person and interviewing for a position or a gig, you need to be the leader in that process. People respond well when it feels like, oh, this person's been before, they've been here before, they know what I'm trying to do, they know the outcome I'm getting to, they understand my problems, they understand the outcomes that I want, they understand my constraints, and they are giving me the next steps of where to go. As soon as, if you can literally transition in the interview, the role from applicant to, oh, now I'm leading the process. I'm telling you what needs to happen next. That eliminates so much of the sphere of, am I making the wrong choice? Because they have already started to feel what it's like when somebody else is leading the charge on this thing. That is obviously a problem that's top of mind for them because they're looking to hire for it. Um, and I can even give you an example of like how that conversation could or should play out if you want. Yeah. While you're giving me a little bit more context on that, I'd also like to know where are they even going to find these clients? Okay. <laughs> Two very different directions. Oh, sorry. Me, no, it's okay. It's okay. Both are really, really important. I'm glad we're going there. Let me let me go first with this, this direction of talking to the potential client. And then I'll talk about where we find them. Yeah, when absolutely. Some, when you're talking to somebody who's considering hiring you, they're going to give you a bunch of details. You can literally start the conversation with, okay, so tell me about your project or tell me about your business or tell me about X, you know, the reason that you're talking. They're going to throw a lot of information at you. And so your first step, the first thing that you can do that's really, really impactful is to make mental notes of the important points. What is the reason that you're here? Like, what is the outcome that they want? What is the pain that they're feeling? So that at some point you can say, okay, let me repeat this back to you. It sounds like you really want to have a higher conversion on your website, or it sounds like you really want to have higher open rates on your emails, or it sounds like you really want to grow your Twitter following. And you look at them, you pause and you look at them and they'll probably nod and you say, okay, great. Um, super doable. I've done this before. I feel really confident that we can get to that point. Here's what we need to go from here, A, B, and C. And then you ask them, what is your timeline for this? When ideally do you want this outcome, the outcome they shared with them? When ideally do you want to have this many followers on your Twitter? When ideally do you want to have this new about page for your website written? And they will self-declare a timeline and a deadline for this thing. And you can say, okay, great. Well, to get this outcome by this date, we need to get started on this date. You know, we need to get started on Friday. So I'm going to crunch some numbers. I'm going to send you a proposal. 
I'm going to let you know uh, what this looks like moving forward. But if you want to get it done by this date, we need to move by this date. And that creates that decision point I was talking about, that little bit of urgency, that deadline to make somebody make a decision. But it's also showing them, I know the outcome that you want. I know your constraints. And I know this process so well that I know when we need to get started to meet those constraints and meet that deadline. And that shows so much leadership. That shows so much confidence. They're going to say, wow, one, I need to get moving. Two, this person really seems to get it. Yeah. And being on the other end of that, sometimes I'm hiring freelancers and I don't even really know what I want. I think I know what the objective is, is I'm hiring yeah. someone to do my blog writing. And then when they come in and they show that they have all of these ideas and they take charge, it's you know, a relief to me where I think, oh, good, they're going to do that totally. work and I don't have to think anymore about it because I can tell that they're a self-starter and that they have this all under control. There's there's a lot that can be accomplished with asking insightful questions to gain fidelity in that person's mind. And there again, you're leading that person. But the other reason you ask about their timeline is a lot of freelancers will tell you, I had this conversation and went really well. I followed up with a proposal and I never heard from this person. And that's really hard. And that's because this person is afraid of making the wrong choice. And you didn't make an impression that you are obviously the right choice. But if you ask for a self-reported deadline, that gives you a perfect reason to follow up after a few days and say, hey, I want to check in on this proposal or I wanted to check in on this project. I know that you were trying to have this done by this date. And for us to do that, we really need to get moving by this date. So I wanted to touch base. That doesn't feel pushy. It's not the, hey, you still doing this thing? It's saying, again, I know your constraints and I want to check in with you so that we can still meet that constraint. You know, it, it feels as if you were just being very professional and very thorough as opposed to needy or pushy. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go back to I'm that teacher and I've decided I want to be a copywriter. I don't have a portfolio written, but where am I going to even start attempting to have clients or where do I start looking for those clients? There are three pathways to consider here and there's not, I wouldn't say only do one and not the other two. You can actually do kind of a portfolio approach to all three of these things. The first one being direct to client. This is what I believe has the most long-term potential if you're trying to build a sustainable business. It's the most traditional. I talk with a person, we talk about their project, I scope it out, I tell them how much it's going to be, I do the work, I communicate with them on the work, they pay me for the work, project is done. You know, it's pretty straightforward, cut and dry. It's also the hardest to get rolling um, in the beginning because if you don't have a portfolio, if you don't have a reputation as a freelancer, why should this person trust you? Like you have to go one client at a time, have an excellent experience, wrap that into a case study, put that into your portfolio, start to show some history and some outcomes. The second path is what I call subcontracting. Basically, instead of working directly with a client, you are working with somebody else who is working directly with the client. That agency may be a website development agency if you're a copywriter, and they sell a full website project to one of their clients and they sub out part of the project and part of the payment fee to you, the subcontractor, to do part of it. Would that kind of company have their job listing for freelancers on LinkedIn or other job search boards? Potentially, but this is, and a lot of freelancing is this, this is kind of a relationship game. You need to build relationships with people who run these service-based businesses and get them to trust you so that they know, well, when we need added capacity or we need this other skill set, Daphne is my person for this. Daphne is my copywriter. I'm going to go to her and bring this to her first. It's it's kind of a one by one build relationships with somebody running this agency. So you're top of mind when they have that project and that capability that they can't do themselves. They might hire for this on path number three, which is a freelance marketplace. There are these websites, and these marketplaces like 
Fiverr, like Upwork, where it's two-sided. There are people posting jobs and there are people fulfilling the jobs. I would really, really, really recommend if you're going to build on any marketplace, build on Upwork, not Fiverr. Fiverr really incentivizes you to shoot to the bottom on pricing and go for high volumes. It's a really, really hard game and it's not long-term where you want to play. But on Upwork, you can start to build a profile and a history around yourself and the work that you've done and charge very reasonable rates. And if you get to a point where you have done a lot of work for people and you've been reviewed well, you uh, it's kind of a... It's kind of a rich get richer circumstance where a lot of people are trying to hire the best people. And then there are a lot of people trying to hire the cheapest people. And you might have to spend a little bit of time underpricing yourself, unfortunately, to get some really great outcomes and really great portfolio work to put on your profile so you can be one of those highly ranked uh, sought after copywriters to use this example again. And so some of this, some of these agencies that you might subcontract to, maybe they'll be hiring on Upwork, but usually it's a relationship game, just like direct to client. And the hard part with subcontracting is you have really like no control, no predictability. It's not on you to sell the work. You don't know when it's coming. It's really hard to depend on it, which is why I kind of recommend a portfolio approach to these three, especially in the beginning. So you can start to uh, flatten out some of the seasonality from one of them using the other two. Yeah, I've seen a lot of freelancers start on Upwork and use those strategies of making sure that they're standing out above all the other clients. When somebody posts a job posting, let's say Pinterest pens or copywriting, they're the ones that go above and beyond and actually create a small sample or a small snippet that really shows that they're qualified for the job, even if they don't have ratings. And then as they start to build their ratings and they start to build on Upwork, they actually take them and start pulling those reviews onto their own website and they can start branching out in that way. Those are the experiences or the reviews that they're showing other people. Yeah, totally. And the same thing that we're talking about with trying to stand out in interviews applies with trying to stand out on Upwork when you're getting started, because you're probably going to be applying for roles for gigs that a lot of other people are applying for also. So you need to take some care in your response, your cover letter, your proposal to stand out and show that, hey, you know, I don't have a lot of history here, but I've been teaching English for 10 years. Like I can proofread the heck out of your screenplay, (laughs) like whatever it is, you can show how your unique skills map to this project, even if you don't have a history on Upwork yet, and just call it out. Say, I just joined this platform. I don't have a history because I just joined and I'm really looking to have an amazing experience for my first few clients. And I would love for that to be you. Yeah, I love that. I love just calling it out um, and letting them know that that's why and that you're looking forward to, you know, putting all of your energy and resources into supporting their needs. Uh, Just Pivoting a little bit, Jay, you have a complete program that helps freelancers. Do you want to go into what is actually included in that program? For sure. So freelancing school as a platform has a bunch of different elements to it. Like I am consistently adding articles to that website that are free that help people get started freelancing. If you subscribe to the uh, free email course, it's a five-day email course to help you earn more money freelancing. That will get you into my listserv and I send a new article to that every week. That's free. We have a community for freelancers. That's free. There are a lot of ways you can plug in, but if you're if you want to get through and have the best outcome the fastest, the solution would be through one of the three courses that I offer. And those cover three different subject areas: business, 
marketing and selling. There are a lot of um, course creators out there and service providers who will teach you how to be a really great copywriter or how to be a really great graphic designer or how to be a really great WordPress developer using Divi, you know, very specific skills and topic areas. And where freelancing school focuses is skill agnostic. Let me teach you how to start and run a freelance business so that it rewards you with the money and the time that you want uh, for the reason that you got into freelancing in the first place. So I focus on setting up a business that is sustainable, that has processes that support you, that don't take all of your time. It teaches you how to confidently market yourself and your skills, and it teaches you how to sell more projects or sell projects at a higher price. So that ultimately, you have more time, you have more money, you have the outcomes that you wanted as a freelancer in the first place, regardless of skill set. I think one of the biggest changes that happened with me after I left teaching is I really started to invest into my own business and my own professional development. And one of the main benefits that I got from that was being able to save time and energy, not trying to figure out everything on my own. There are so many times that we are that roadblock where we decide we'll just find blog articles that'll teach us everything, but it takes us years or yeah. Um, it, it ends up burning us out and we end up not actually making any progress about how long would it take somebody to go through all of the resources in freelancing school. So each course is about two and a half hours of content and they average 16 lessons each. Um, so if you watched it start to finish, you could watch all the content in about seven and a half, eight hours. But each of those lessons is specifically designed around a learning goal. And they each have a set of assignments afterwards challenging you that if you work through this, then you're going to have a better outcome and you'll actually have applied and built something from this lesson. So you could I mean, you could fire through it in a week. I've had a lot of students who go through it in the course of a week, all three, all three courses, and they have a great experience. Uh, you could space it out over a couple of weeks, you know information is abundant and there's some version of all information for free. So anything that you would want to learn in freelancing school, I'm sure you could find online for free, but I really do believe after four years of freelancing myself and breaking that coveted six figure mark, whatever, all the advice that I share with other freelancers, all the things that I've learned, I've taken the time to call them down into 48 lessons that are ordered in a specific way that are oriented in a specific way to give you the most efficient path to learn these skills, to start a business and have that business reward you with the money and time that you want. Jay has offered a really exclusive discount for Teacher Career Coach podcast listeners where they can actually join the freelancing school for 20% off using coupon code TCC. I'm going to link that in today's show notes as well. Thank you, Jay, so much for joining us here today. So fun to be here. Like I said, teaching runs deep in my family. The more that I can help teachers earn more and uh, love their work, whether it's in addition to teaching, whether it's a new direction, um, I, I just love the opportunity. So thank you, Daphne, for having me. Thank you so much. If you're interested in fast tracking your progress to becoming a successful freelancer, I highly recommend that you check out Jay's program freelancing school at www.teachercareercoach.com forward slash freelancing school. You can use the coupon code TCC to receive 20% off of your purchase. You can also find Jay on Instagram at jklaus or listen to his podcast, Creative Elements, where he talks to a lot of different experts in the creative industry. 
If you've been enjoying the Teacher Career Coach podcast, make sure you click subscribe and please don't forget to leave a review. Leaving a review helps other teachers find this support and many have no idea that it even exists. I'll see you on the very next episode of the Teacher Career Coach podcast. Thank you.